My name's Graham. If you don't know me, I'm a minister here. Uh, I'd love you to have open Ephesians chapter uh, two. I um I did plan to we, we did plan to cover two verse eleven all the way through to three verse thirteen as we just read. But there's so much good stuff in two verse um, eleven through to twenty two. So we're just going to focus there, and we'll see what we can pick up next week as well. So if you don't have a Bible, feel free to just jump up and grab one. And uh, also, there's an outline in your bulletin, and that'll help you follow on where we're going. If you want to write some notes down, and as we do, we'll have a, a question and answer or question and comment time afterwards. So if you've got a question or a comment, um, write it down, and uh, we'll chat at the end. How about I pray? And we'll give thanks for God's word. Father, we do thank you that you speak to us. Uh, We thank you just for this great privilege it is to come together as your people. And we pray, Lord, as we hear once again the good news of God, you bring us near when we were far away. Uh, We pray today is a day where we we remember this, perhaps even for the first time we get to know this and uh, and we trust in you because of this great gospel, this good news we have um, that we read. So... um, yeah, Lord, help us to listen well, help me to speak clearly, and um, we thank you for this time together. Amen. Uh, yeah, really good weekend. If you did miss out, um, next year I'm sure it'll be great. Uh, come along. Um, a really good time. It was a damp, slightly wet afternoon, but I was the only one who wore a raincoat. <laughs> How about that? Did I share it with those poor people who needed it more? No, I kept it for myself. Anyway, <laughs> I just rub it in. Yeah, that's right. But it was a great time away. Look, um, you, you'd hardly call this uplifting, but within just a few minutes of thinking to myself, a few minutes of sort of brainstorming on my own, uh, it didn't take me long to think of areas of the world that are in conflict at the moment, either in political strife or in military conflict. And I'm sure I've left a few out. So, well, there's, there's Afghanistan, uh, there's uh, Iraq, Syria, Sudan, I couldn't fit all the pictures in, Um, Taiwan, Nigeria, North Korea or South Korea, North Korea, you've got obviously Ukraine as well, Uh, all have experienced eruptions of violence in recent times, conflict in recent times. But there's also conflict back home, isn't there? Uh, Constant suspicion and segregation between various communities in cities across the world, between black and white, between rich and poor, between Muslim and Hindu, between right wing and left wing. And and drawing down even further, oh, there's conflict in our sporting clubs. There's conflict in our uh, offices with workmates. There's conflict between students in the playground. Uh, And there's so much cruelty and hurt in our homes. Will we humans ever stop fighting? Can there ever be lasting peace within our communities and between our cultures? Well, as crazy as it sounds, the answer is yes. Yes. I've got a surfing buddy um, who used to do aid work in Palestine. Uh, He wrote a book about his adventures called there's no waves in Palestine. Um, It's a good read. Uh, He didn't find waves. There's waves in Israel, but not in Palestine. Anyway, he tells me of Palestinians Palestinians 
who once fought for the Palestinian um, Liberation Organisation and now working alongside Israelis distributing aid in the West Bank because, well, they've all become Christians. That's how. Once they were enemies, if you know anything about that history and that part of the world, once they were enemies with such a deep historical hatred of each other, now were their brothers and sisters of the same global family of God working together, loving others for the sake of the gospel. Now, how on earth is such a thing possible? How is such a thing possible? Well, Paul's been explaining so far in Ephesians, I think we'll have a look back in Ephesians 2, um, that through Christ we can be reconciled to God, uh, brought from death to life by grace. Remember that from two weeks ago. Now he turns to explain how the most hostile of enemies can be reconciled to each other. In one sense, he's done the vertical first, hasn't he? Between us and God, and now he's switching over to the horizontal between, well, each other. So Paul now explains how churches can become a melting pot of diverse ethnic and social backgrounds and still gather together. It would be impossible if it were not for Jesus. In Jesus, we have lasting peace with God and lasting peace with each other. Imperfectly now, yes, we have some hiccups, but perfectly in the coming kingdom of the Prince of Peace. Well, if, um, as uh, Maddie read for us a moment ago, you'll notice like the first half of chapter 2, we looked at a couple of weeks ago, the structure here today in verses 11 to 22 is pretty similar. So Paul, now, Paul describes our hopeless situation without Jesus, that's in verses 11 to 12, before announcing Again, remember this, the but God was another one here. There's another but God, or actually it's but now of God's grace, and that's in verse 13. And then Paul explains how God has completely transformed our situation in Christ. And that's sort of verses 13 to 22. Uh, we'll, we'll leave it there. There's more to do, but we'll leave it there as in terms of our, our, top, our verses we're covering today. So if you've seen your outline, the first, first point we're looking at is outsiders. They are the Gentiles, non-Jews, verses 11 and 12. So Paul says there in verse 11, therefore, what's he doing? Well, he's pointing us back, isn't he? He's pointing us back to chapter 1 and into chapter 2. He says, considering your spectacular blessings in Christ. Remember, Paul's writing to non-Jews. He's writing to Gentiles, probably a mix of Jews as well, but he's writing mostly to Gentiles uh, in, in Ephesus, which is sort of modern-day Turkey on the coast there. Um, so he says, considering your spectacular blessings in Christ, so that's chapter 1, really, into which you were brought from death to life by grace, that's chapter 2, verses 1 to 10, he says, I want you to remember, don't forget, remember, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that Remember that at that time. Now, we've got to press the pause button here for a moment and ask them some important questions. Uh, we, need to, we need to understand Paul's description of Gentiles in these couple of verses. How does he describe Gentiles here, non-Jews? Paul's referring to the ceremony of circumcision, 
Um, I didn't bring any diagrams with me, but um, anyway. Um, which is... <laughs> sorry, PDHP joke, that one. Uh, kids, if you don't know what circumcision is, talk to mum and dad. Um, but uh, he, he's describing the, the symbolic uh, ceremony of, of circumcision, of, of being cut free from sin. That's the symbol. It was also a sign that reminded Israel of God's promises, great promises that goes all the way back to Abraham, uh, where the ceremony started, and that his descendants would be a a blessed kingdom, uh, Genesis 12 and 15 and 17. But unfortunately, with the Jewish people, it had become a source of pride in themselves uh, and scorn for the Gentiles. You don't have this, so we're going to leave you out. We're going to ignore you and reject you. And all this despite the repeated challenges from the prophets that God intended the external ceremony of circumcision to be accompanied with their internal circumcision of their hearts. That is being cut off from sin and welcoming Gentiles into God's kingdom, which God's promises to Abraham encouraged. The world would be blessed through Abraham and his descendants, going back to Genesis 12. Uh, Paul even has a, has a shot at the ritual here. He says by saying it's something just done by human hands. You see, just merely a human ceremony. What always mattered with this ceremony of circumcision, what always mattered was the circumcision of the hearts, that cutting free from sin in their lives that God desires. But at least the, the Jews knew about God from the law. Well, the Gentiles didn't. So Paul reminds his Gentile Christian readers of their desperate condition without Jesus. Not to humiliate them, but to remind them of how generously they've been blessed in Christ. He describes unbelievers without Christ as being in spiritual alienation from God and from God's people. But Paul says that Gentiles have no right to any blessings from God. Sorry, had no right to any blessings from God. Um, uh, actually, <laughs> both have no right, had no right. Look at verse, tw- verse 12. He says, You were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, foreigners to the covenants of the promise that go all the way back to Abraham, to Moses, to King David. They were without hope and without God in the world. A long time ago, the um, uh, Greek writer Theocritus his name is, he wrote, hopes are for the living, the dead are without hope. Many centuries later, um, despair in the face of death remains as overwhelming as ever. Dylan Thomas, he's um, no relation, uh, he's, a, he's a 20th century um, Welsh poet. Uh, he wrote this famously in, in protesting at the death of his father. I can get up the screen there. Do not go gentle into that good fight. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. Actually, it was read at a funeral I did not that long ago. You see, for all our impressive technology and desperate dieting and exercise, we cannot escape the Grim Reaper. I put a nice picture of the Grim Reaper instead of the ugly one that you might remember from the... If you're around in the 1980s, there was the AIDS and HIV ads. There was the Grim Reaper. But we cannot escape... The two certainties of life, they say, death and taxes, every one of us will die. Our, um, our modern worldview, really, and probably ancient as well, has no sensible basis for confidence in life beyond the grave. 
So you see, while secular atheists like uh, Richard Dawkins, like the late Christopher Hitchens, uh, Stephen Fry, uh, comedians like Ricky Gervais, uh, try to persuade us to accept death without God, most unbelievers can only try to eat, drink and be merry for tomorrow we die. Party like there's no tomorrow and try not to think about death. Now how different this is for Christians. If you're a follower of the Lord Jesus, how different this is. We have the most precious thing in the world. We are with hope. We are with God. Unlike where we were before. We have hope for the next, a real and certain hope because of the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians, I love this passage, he says in the context of the, of the grief of losing Christian friends who, who, who die, he says, but we don't grieve like the rest of men. We don't grieve like the rest of humankind. Attend a funeral of a Christian person and I think you'll notice the difference deeply. It's a striking experience at, um, at baptisms and weddings uh, that unbelievers have lots of fun things to say and um, everyone's happy and filming with cameras and phones and so on. That's great. Um, excellent, great thing to do. But at funerals, all that noisy confidence gives way to uh, desperate tears and, and quite often gloomy silence. And all that's left are memories. Unless it's the funeral of a, of a Christian, unless it's a funeral of a believer of, Lord, of the Lord Jesus. For Christians know that death is not the end. And we know that those who have died trusting in Jesus are now with Jesus, he promises. Without Christ, we Gentiles were without hope for eternity and without God in this world. But now. Have a look at verse 13. Those lovely words, but now. Everything's changed. But now, in Jesus, everything's changed. We are indeed reconciled. But now in Christ Jesus, verse 13, you who are once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. We who are once far from God and his people have now been brought near to God and his people through Jesus' sacrifice for our sins. Paul now explains who brought us near, how he did it, and why he did such a thing. Have a look at verse 14. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. I think that's the, that's the, the law of Moses. That's the dividing wall of hostility, uh, which the Jewish religious leaders had turned from being a sign to the world of the goodness of God into a barrier excluding the world from God's good government. So verse 15, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and preached to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. You see, Christ is our peace. You see those words there? Deep and lasting reconciliation within marriages, within families, within communities. And it was never found in, it's never found in the, the Roman military domination of the time, despite its famous boast of providing, um, I think it's in Latin, the, the Pax Romana, means Roman peace. It was the big catch cry of the day. 
for that, those, that world, and nor would such peace ever be found in any social solution. Deep inner peace is only found in spiritual dependence on Christ crucified because the peace of Christ is not just a negotiated absence of conflict. It's that positive harmony empowered within us by the spirit of the divine Prince of Peace. I'm quoting from a great book I read during the week. I read it again because it's really cool. It's the positive harmony empowered within us by the spirit of the divine Prince of Peace. That's what deep inner peace is. It's not some weird sort of thing you go out in the bush and put your hands together and hum or whatever you want to do. A deep inner peace is found in Jesus by his spirit. And so Paul writes, it's a new humanity. A new humanity. See it there in verse 15. He creates in himself one new humanity out of the two. When we come to faith in Jesus... We are spiritually reborn. We're a new creation, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians. And we're part of a new human race. Church is not just a mix of Jew and Gentiles. It's a whole new species of being, reconciled to each other and to God. There's the horizontal and there's the vertical. Let's not fail to miss God's eternal purposes here. Let's not water down salvation to just to something about me. That's not true. Salvation's about us as well as me. You see, God's good purposes are about a new heaven and a new earth where he will be with his transformed people forever. And his purposes are heading that way when all things in heaven and earth are brought together under one head, even Christ, as chapter 1 said. The formation of a new people is at the heart of his, his eternal purposes. And we've just got a little taste of that here as we gather together as God's people. Something I love repeating from up here uh, is that whoever we are, whatever we've done, we can be saved. We can be forgiven. But this is only on the same basis as everyone else. No matter what you've done, no matter who you are, you're saved by the Lord Jesus. We put our trust in him on the same basis as everyone else, the death of Jesus Christ. And it's this common dependence which brings us together in church. However near or far we were, whether Jew or Gentile, through Christ we have access to God. There's no other way to salvation for Jews or anyone else. Therefore, there is no room for racial pride in church. But there is a glorious reconciliation in knowing Jesus through the cross by which he put to death our hostility. See verse 18, for through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. You see the unity that we share by the cross. Our recognition of needing the death of Jesus to be reconciled is uh, reconciled to God is what empowers our humble willingness to be reconciled to each other. So, if you're finding it difficult to be at peace with others, perhaps because you've been hurt, and perhaps because you've been hurt again and again, uh, well, yeah, we're going to need time in prayer asking for strength from Jesus. There's no doubt about that. Who has loved us enough to reconcile us to God by his death. So from, for from his reconciliation of sinners to our Heavenly Father comes 
the spiritual power for reconciliation with each other. So from the vertical, well, we'll come the horizontal and that's our focus on the cross of Christ. You know, there's, um, there's a lot, lot of things I love about this church, um, but please don't take this the wrong way, but we're pretty ordinary. <laughs> we're pretty ordinary, right? We're, we're an assorted bunch of fairly stunningly ordinary people. That's what we are. Uh, some of us, yes, some of us are broken, but still ordinary people who choose to gather together as church. We, we might even start to wonder, why would God bother with us? You know, we're just a bunch of ordinary people, small little town, Southern Highlands, just the ordinary. Why would he bother, why would he bother with us? Why wouldn't he prefer something more impressive, right, that reflects his glory and power? So, you know, why wouldn't he want enormous crowds of A-listers, okay, and, uh, and other successful superstars packed into majestic cathedrals, right, uh, or, or stunning megachurches. Nah, stunning. Uh, famous stadiums even, packed all in together, all those good-looking people. The truth is God sees things very differently. These next few verses we'll read reveal God's extraordinary passion for ordinary churches just like us, just like you and me. And we see that every congregation of sinners, forgiven and gathered together under Christ through the gospel, is actually his magnificent holy temple in the Lord. It's a beautiful thing. Let's read these verses and then we'll pick out a few things and we'll close. Uh, verse 19. So he says, consequently, you could put therefore if you wanted to, consequently, you are no longer foreigners or strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. Remember who he's writing to? These, these um, uh, Gentile Christians. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a, a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God's spirit, God lives by his spirit. I look at those words and say, wow, look at that. Like, you can't look at those words, if you're a Christian person, you can't look at those words and not say, how good is church? I reckon. How good is that? How special is this? Now again, I wish we had more time to unpack this, and maybe we'll come back to it next week again, I don't know. But, um, but Paul says here, there are three dimensions to being the spiritual temple of the Lord. And Paul picks up this Old Testament teaching uh, that the, the tabernacle, that was the tent that followed around the Israelite people coming out of um, crossing the Red Sea out of Egypt. Uh, that, and then the temple later on that Solomon built, that represented God's presence with his people. Now in Christ, the Spirit dwells within us and we are his building. We are his church. We are his temple and God dwells in us. That's the promise of God. And so... Well, first, there's, there's three dimensions. Let's go through them pretty quickly. But first is we are, we are welcomed. So we're no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of his family. Our spiritual passports stamped with the blood of Jesus. So we're no longer, I don't know, 
New Zealanders, South Africans, um, English, American, Australians. We're Christians. If you're trusting the Lord, we're Christians. We, our homeland we belong to is not the sunburned beaches and rolling plains or whatever the, we could describe Australia. We're primarily citizens of heaven. We're currently travelling away from our heavenly home on earth, um, our heavenly home, and we're travelling on earth on global business. Does that work? Uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? We're away. We're, our home is in heaven. This means we're not content in just reaching people just like ourselves with the gospel. We want to reach all nations. So, you know, we're a little, we're a little white bread here in Robbo, aren't we? <laughs> we are. That, that, that's, that's, that happens. Um, but we can pray and we can support mission that reaches other cultures. That's why we have CMS missionaries. We partner with Michael and Rani. Still haven't heard any news, by the way, but hopefully they'll get their visas sorted out to go to Belgium. Keep praying for that. Um, and we can make sure our gatherings are as clear and welcoming to all peoples, no matter who, who they are, where they're from. God's church is meant to be a picture of heaven. I read during the week, a licorice all sorts of people. I don't know if that works, but anyway, I think I, think I know what they were trying to say. Uh, all people gather together, for we were all once foreigners and strangers, weren't we? Members of God's church are also, you can see there on, on, in verse um, uh, 19, are members of God's household, God's family, brothers and sisters in Christ with our Heavenly Father in the same spirit. So no matter how slick and um, professional things may well need to be or are sometimes um we whatever 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 is the case we must still live like a family behave like with appreciation with us with respect pure affection and sacrificial kindness being there for each other noticing when each other are struggling visiting people caring looking after people uh, a family we're we're offering loving support that we may not even get from our earthly families. Uh, it's a common story in the, in the Muslim world when um, a Muslim person becomes a Christian, and it often happens with Hindus as well, uh, and other religious groups, they are rejected from their families. They're, they're, they're scorned, they're estranged from, their, estranged from their families. But they have a new family. They have a new family, and that is the Church of God. Let's move on. There's this second dimension of, um, of church being the spiritual temple of the Lord. Well, we're founded on the gospel of Christ. God's church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone, we read. So we're, we're built on the word of God, Old Testament, New Testament, apostles and prophets. In other words, all scripture. It's all God-breathed and it's all useful for teaching, rebuking and training in Christ, uh, as 2 Timothy says. And we're being held together by the cornerstone that is Jesus. Notice this means the foundation is finished. You see that? There will be no new foundations. Done. It's finished. The, the foundation is sufficient. It doesn't need improving uh, or adapting. We're not free to dig up the foundations of God's church, the foundation that's Jesus, God's building, and start again. We're not free to do that, even though the the even though there's pressure from the world we live in to change the foundation of Jesus Christ to water down 
the gospel, to water down the message of the apostles and prophets. This foundation is also saving. We must continue to proclaim this foundational gospel teaching as the rock upon which men and women, young and old, can build their lives with confidence and that they're safe from a storm to come. All other gospels and all other teaching are sinking sand that cannot save anyone. There's this final, there's this final dimension of the Church of Christ that is, it's, it is constructed. I'll read these verses again. In him, verse 21, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built, built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. It's the great and precious promise and blessing and privilege of church that in Christ, in him, God dwells within us, his spirit, and, and he's building us. He's building us up in Christ to be more like him in maturity in Christ. It's a magnificent wonder of the modern world. Every, uh, every gathering of God's people is God's temple. His dwelling place among us, his, his palace where he governs us and his temple where, he, where we celebrate the finished sacrifice of Jesus. So, next week, well you can do it today as well if you like. Uh, when you walk into church, maybe when you have morning tea together, I don't know, when you hang out, uh, however ordinary we may look, probably don't walk up to someone and say how ordinary you are today, <laughs> it's a bit rude, don't do that. Um, well you could, but just say, no, no, don't do that. However unimpressive this building might be, this building is pretty impressive, but it sort of works with the, the, the notes. Um, <laughs> let's remember these three glorious spiritual dimensions of church. You are welcomed into the precious family of God, so love each other deeply. You're being built upon the foundations of the scriptures, so listen to the teaching of them carefully. And you're being constructed as a dwelling of the Spirit of God, so be holy in the way you behave. This is a gathering of a new humanity, God's humanity, the temple of the living God, the only local building, round Robbo, anywhere, that'll last forever. Uh, let's enjoy it, shall we? <laughs> let's pray. Father, we, uh, we thank you for your word today. We, we, we just... Well, we praise and thank you for the, the wonder that church is, um, for all that you're doing with us. Uh, Lord, we thank you um, for it. We, we pray that you would, love each, you would help us to love each other deeply. Uh, we pray that you would help us to listen to your teaching and you help us to be holy in the way we behave. And Lord, we thank you that you are bringing us as your people to an eternal home, and when we can be with you forever. And we, uh, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.